Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're joined by Madeline Sklar, social media power influencer, blogger, podcaster, and Twitter smarter chat host. Welcome, Madeline. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jonathan Rochelle. I'm thrilled to be here. I love this podcast. Thanks. I'm a fan. Awesome. Yay. Well, well, yeah, Madeline, um, you know, we met when I was a guest on, I think it was your Twitter Smarter Tweet Chat. And one of the things that really struck me was the genuine engagement of your audience. I mean, it was truly a community. So I'd love to kind of kick this off by hearing you talk about how you built that following. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, it was social ROI first, and then I had you on Twitter Smarter. Ah. And, and what's interesting with social ROI is a Twitter chat that I host for Managed Flitter, and they gave me a list of people that they thought would be great to have on the chat. This was when we first started a year ago and they, it was a very short list because I had lots of connections. I was intrigued by you. I was researching you. I'm like, oh, wow, she will be a great guest. So that's how we initially met was having you come be a guest on social ROI Twitter chat about a year ago, which is a fabulous chat. You are wonderful. Um, I seem to have a knack for building communities online. I'm not sure how or why. It's just I'm one of those that's a doer. I just come up with ideas and I execute them. I don't overthink how am I going to make this happen. I listen to a lot of podcast episodes where it seems like lately everybody talks about, you know, don't get stuck on the how, just do. And that's my normal. Like, I, you know, I even have a tattoo that says just do it because that is a motto <laughs> of mine. It's a mantra. You know, I'm just, hey, you can just do whatever you set your mind to. And I started building communities way back in 1996 when the internet was newer, you know, and, and actually most people didn't even know what dot com was back then. But I started building a community of female musicians. And that's like a whole story. I don't want to have to like, that could take like an hour to tell. But but short story is I started an online community, realized I have a really good knack for this. Uh, basically, I bring people together. That's like my secret sauce is bringing people together and helping them. And so now we fast forward 22 years later, which I just cannot believe I've been an entrepreneur, self-employed for 22 years now. And I did a pivot in my career in 2015. So really just a few years ago, I decided instead of being known in the music business as a digital marketer, social media marketer, all that good stuff, I wanted to get more widely known and get seen as a top social media marketer and go speak at the big social media conferences. And in less than a year, I was able to achieve that. I started building a whole new community through my Twitter chat, Twitter Smarter and a podcast that I called Twitter Smarter. And in a very short period of time, I just built up a nice, vibrant community, and they just follow me wherever I go. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. So what made you decide to really focus on social media? I mean, you could have taken a lot of different tracks when you pivoted. Yeah, well, I love social media. Uh, being that I was in the music business when MySpace, MySpace first emerged, and I know a lot of people laugh when they hear MySpace because a lot of people saw it as a bit of a joke, but it was ideal for musicians. It was the perfect place 
to build your community and get people to come out to shows and buy your music and, and get people to sign up for your mailing list. So I really enjoyed helping bands and musicians, all kinds of creative people build up a presence through MySpace. And I thought this was really interesting, but we learned a lot of lessons along the way, like, hey, one day it could close shop and, and it's gone. And you lost all of those people that you built up in your community. So I just kept taking all the knowledge I was learning and really realizing how valuable your email list is through all of that. And uh, just was on a mission to teach people and just share what I'm learning, just taking all the information I'm learning and turning around and sharing it with everyone else. Wow. I feel like, Madeline, you know, I've known you just long enough to to know that this is all genuine. And and I I just, I hear it come through every fiber of your being. And when we were on those tweet chats together, your audience was, I've never seen an audience like that, quite frankly, on on a tweet chat where Everybody had some things to say. They had some personal things, some back and forth. They had additions to the commentary. Um, you always had new people coming in. Um, you know, it was pretty amazing. And, you know, one of the things, Jonathan, I don't know about you, I'd love to hear more for our audience about kind of the, the how to do that. You know, it's interesting. I don't know so much if there's like a how. I think when it comes to community, it always starts with the leadership. It starts with that person at the top. And how is that person at the top running the community? You know, do they do it with an iron fist and make a bunch of rules and say, this is how you do it or else? Um, That causes people to run away. I like to be very open. I want people to feel comfortable. When I host a Twitter chat, I want people to spend the first five or 10 minutes just saying hello. We're a community. We're all getting to know each other. I want new people to come on and feel like they're part of a family. So I feel like people watch what I'm doing and they see that, okay, Madeline's like real and down to earth and transparent and she's making us feel welcome. So they in turn start taking the reins with that and they start greeting. Like I'll just start watching like, wow, look at all these people helping others during the chat. So I think it's really important to be a great leader when you're building a community. And you're modeling. And that's what I'm hearing is you're modeling the behavior. Yes, Definitely. Jonathan, you've got to chime in on this because I'm sitting here thinking of, you know, my traditional audience of consultants and your traditional audience of developers. And most of us would never think of spending 10 minutes saying, hey, how are you? Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I've learned just in regular life, not online life, pretty late in life, actually, you know, that sort of like the first five minutes of the meeting when people are talking about sports or the weather or whatever. I used to get really frustrated by that and and only really understood the value of it much later on. Uh, and it's I think it's super important. It's probably even more important online because there are so few cues. You know, you don't have as much, there's no body language usually, uh, maybe not even any visuals. So it's a, a really, I think it's a really big deal. Uh, I also, you zoomed right past it, but the, the iron fist comment I think is also super important for people that are new to creating a community and have these grand visions for the way it's going to be. And they want to kind of control it to become that thing. And again, something I learned, you know, later in life was you just, you, you can't really do that. It's like, 
you squeeze it and they, it just sort of everything goes through your fingers kind of thing. And I see this, I see this same again, it's like online or offline. We're, you know, members of uh, like homeschooling groups and, and uh, also, you know, karate, all sorts of things. We're, you know, reasonably active uh, socially. And it's the same thing when someone in the, in the organization tries to kind of drop the gavel and say, okay, this is the way it's going to be. Everyone just scatters for the exits because it's so easy to connect somewhere else. You just feel like, oh, okay, if you want to be a dictator, then we'll just start our own group. You know, it just takes two clicks. So could you, is there, I don't know if there's more to talk about there, but it'd be interesting if you have maybe an experience or a story where how, how you learn that, or is it just natural, or do you help people kind of come to grips with that when they're kind of control freaks, like I probably was when I was younger? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting when it comes to like my day-to-day -day work, the stuff I'm working on, I do feel like a little bit of a control freak. And instead of hiring a VA to help me, I always feel like, oh, it's just easier for me to do it myself and I'll get it done right. But when it comes to community, it's people. And I... I guess I'm running things the way I would want to, if I was in, you know, if I was in their shoes, I would want to feel comfortable and safe and spend a few minutes saying hello, because now I'm becoming friends. People come back week after week on the chats. I always joke and say, it's like Norm from the TV show Cheers, where everybody knows your name. And it really becomes that type of community. Uh, everybody's gotten to know each other. And so I want to stand back and let them spend those few minutes catching up with each other. It's that once a week where you know, they're around a group of people they like, you know, that saying surrounding yourself with the five people um, that'll help you in, in life. Um, you know, it's really important to look at, you know, who are you spending the most time with? One thing that's interesting for a story, I started a community kind of by accident earlier, or actually last year, back uh, over last summer. I started an initiative and I put the hashtag video reply day. This was not to become a community. Uh, you know, sometimes things just happen. But what I did is I, I started a hashtag with the intent of saying, hey, everyone, you can make videos and put them on Twitter. So like normally, you know, when somebody tweets you, you hit reply and you tweet back. And it feels a lot like texting. You don't see the person. Tweeting can be a little cold, but thank God for emojis and gifts. So that way we can liven it up and show off some emotion. But I was trying to get people in this mindset of, hey, the next time you reply to your tweets, do it as a video because now they see you and it becomes a personalized video to someone else. And, you know, it, it feels good. It feels nice to have someone do that for you. So I started the hashtag video reply day and I picked a day, a Tuesday. And I thought, okay, every Tuesday, I'm going to tweet this hashtag and encourage people to take a little bit of time out of their day and tweet back anyone that's tweeted them that day, tweet back and do it with a video and you do it on your phone. It's a mobile thing. It turned into a community overnight. Like a whole bunch of people went crazy with it. People that were following me saw my tweets with that and um, started tweeting each other to the point where we had about maybe 20 or 30 people jumping on one tweet. And they just all started having conversations and making videos with each other and getting to know each other. This is worldwide. These were people scattered all over the globe. And there was, I couldn't stop it. It was interesting. Like, like it was, I was just watching everybody and every so often there'd be this Madeline, thank you so much for starting this community. I, I just love this. And I was like, wow, I started 
a cool thing. But then here's what's interesting. You know, it's all done on Twitter. I can't control it. It's just, I start, it's a thread, right? You start a thread, other people get attached to it. And then when you hit reply, it goes to all the people. It's kind of like the way those bulletin boards used to be. You know, somebody posted something back in the old days of the internet and you replied to it and it went to everybody in the group. And if you didn't want to be part of it any, anymore, you opted out. Just like with a newsletter, you opt out. You can't opt out of this very easily. So people would sometimes say, Madeline, I'm getting so many any of these tweets, I really don't, you know, they like take me aside and DM me because they don't want anybody to know. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. I I didn't realize I was going to get all these tweets and it's just overloading my Twitter. I said, look, I can't, I can't do anything. Like everybody's like going crazy with this, which is a good thing, but I don't have the control the way Twitter set up. The most you can do is, and a lot of people don't realize this and the pull down, any tweet you have, in a little pull-down menu, whether you're on mobile or on a desktop, in the pull-down, you can mute the conversation. You can mute the person, which is kind of like unfollowing without unfollowing. So just basically, you won't see their tweets anymore in, in your stream. But there's a mute this conversation. So if you ever get into a situation where there's like a bunch of people tweeting and they add you to it, and then every time someone hits reply, you're going to get it and it gets overloaded, just go to any of those tweets and then the pull down, just hit mute this conversation and it'll stop the rest of the tweets from that one conversation. So I was recommending that to people. And then it, and then a few months ago, I was working on a really big presentation for a conference and this was just overloading my Twitter. So I actually didn't tell anybody, but I just muted one of the conversations so I could get work done, right? And then here's the thing, because I did that, I missed out on something really big. These people became like, there was, I would say there was like really a core group of about 10 or 15 of them that became really, really good friends. Some of them were meeting each other over in Europe. They decided to do a secret Santa and I missed the tweets because I had muted the conversation and about 10 or 12 of them around the world were mailing each other presents to do a secret Santa. And all of this started because I wanted to get people to start doing video replies to their tweets and started a hashtag. So on one hand, I think this shows you the power of building a community on social media. But on the other hand, people can really run with things and you can't always control it. When it's an email list, you can opt out. When it's run in this manner, the way I'm describing not so easy to stop it. So it's luckily, everybody that's a part of this are very nice people. There's no bickering. I mean, I couldn't imagine if it was filled with people that were just fighting all the time and be a mess. But it's just an interesting way. You know, what I've learned through all of this, Jonathan and, and Rochelle, is that technology is constantly evolving. The internet constantly evolves. Social media, I mean, look at Facebook. They just made a huge announcement a few days ago. Things are changing constantly with the algorithms. So you have to stay on top of it or you're going to be left behind. I thought it would be interesting to use Twitter in a way that people are not using it. And that is to just use video on there and, and do a video reply. Um, so I'm just always looking for cool ways to build community. That's just amazing. I keep thinking about um, a couple different things you said in, in, in your story, Madeline. And one is, you know, the word control. 
which, you know, especially for independents can get sort of nervous about not having control. And then the other part was, um, you know, being able to get your work done, if you will. So, yeah, so that feels like a conundrum to me for a lot of people is how do I get into social and make it work for me and participate and grow relationships and still do my day job? It's a juggling act. For sure. Yeah. Because, and this goes all the way back to marketing when I was in the music business early on. There's always been this struggle with everyone. How do I be an entrepreneur? How do I be self-employed? How do I do my own thing? Yet I got to market myself. And it becomes a full-time job to market yourself for most people because they can't afford to hire a PR team or a marketing team to do it for them. So you got to spend time. And I always say, look, carve out time every single day. You have to be consistent. I think consistency is the most important thing when you are marketing yourself on social media. You just, you, you have to be out there. And I always say, pick the ones that resonate with you the most, but also know where your customers are at or your community, your tribe, the people you're trying to reach out to. I gave up Snapchat. I did Snapchat for a few years and then Instagram stories came out and I'm like, okay, everybody's going to stop Snapchat. What's the point of Snapchat? We already built up our Instagrams. We all have fans over there, followers. So we can do the exact same thing there. So most, most of us grown up adults, you know, stuck with that. Whereas the kids and the 20 somethings, they stayed on Snapchat. Now are our customers on Snapchat? I think for most of us, the answer is no. So, you know, don't waste time on, on, platforms and networks that are not going to serve you, but be consistent on the ones that do. And now with Facebook getting to the point where you're going to have to spend money on ads to get seen on your pages. Now you got to rethink your strategy and think about, you know, groups. Groups are a great way to, to uh, be in a community and to build your own community. But then I'm also telling people, Hey, don't forget about Twitter. Twitter's always been there for you. It is a great network. It's a great place to connect. So now we're seeing people really starting to come back to Twitter and realizing this is a great place to be a part of a community and to build your own communities. Well, plus Twitter is a great source of media for anybody who's, you know, playing the expertise game and needs media to help them. Twitter's, you know, kind of the breeding ground for that. Definitely. So are you using Facebook groups yourself, Madeline? I do. Um, I have always done Facebook groups for when I have online training courses. I like to have a, I know everybody does it now. I, I was doing all of that back when, like, I remember when groups first came out and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so great. I had my music community at that time. And I thought this will be a great place to go because prior to Facebook groups, it was really challenging to have an online community and have it in a way where they could all converse with themselves. And there were some other platforms out there that were okay, but not great. And once Facebook groups came out, I moved my whole music community onto that because what a great, everybody was using Facebook. So why not have this one place we can all go and connect with each other? So I think Facebook groups is great. Slack is I was very anti-slack. I didn't understand how it worked for the longest time. It wasn't simple, I thought, in the beginning. But now that I've taken time to really learn the ins and outs, I actually like it. I think it's great for small groups. I don't like it for big groups. 
I think you get lost in the shuffle. And same thing with Facebook groups. You know, when I see Facebook groups that have 10,000 people or 20,000 people, you're just like a number. You're not, it's hard to stand out. I like when groups are small. I think that's just an easier way to uh, connect with a group of people. And what do you think of when you say small? I mean, do you have a number in mind? Well, with Facebook groups, I really like when they're a few hundred or less. Um, to me, smaller is bad. But but here's the thing, though: it's got to be people that are actually active and using it. I've I've run I've run groups that had hundreds and hundreds of people, but then they turn off the notifications and they don't show up. They're not like they're they're part of it, but they're not using it. I think Facebook groups are a great asset we have, um, especially for us marketers. I think it's such a great way to bring people together and to be part of other communities. I can go join, let's say you had a community, Rochelle, and I go and I join it. What a great way for me to get to know the people that you've brought together. It's a way for me to get seen and heard. I can make great new connections. I might find people that want to start a mastermind group with me, or maybe people that at some point want to buy my online courses. It can go in so many directions. So it just goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this uh, question, be consistent, show up. Those are the most important things you can do. You have to make time for this every day. If, If you have a crazy schedule, then just get up a little earlier than you normally do and just spend that that time working on your social media or do it at the end of the day, but find time. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, do you want to chime in about, about Slack? Yeah. I mean, a, a whole bunch of really interesting jumping off points there. Um, one thing, we don't need to go into it, I suppose, but for the dear listener, uh, if you want to look up something called Dunbar's number, it's uh, a, I think an anthropologist who suggested uh, through studies that the maximum number of relationships that a, a human brain can handle is right around 150 people. So you you tend to see that as a breaking as a, a pivotal point in the size of a community, whether it's online or offline. There's some interesting things to read about that. Uh, Slack. I, I'm a huge fan. Of, I'm in Slack all day long, and for me, it feels like the way Twitter felt in 2006, 2007, where there was a, it was a, compared to now, it was a very small number of people in there. So it was much more manageable. And at least for me being a developer, it was a lot more birds of a feather. So it seemed like everybody in there was kind of on the same page about lots of things. And as it blew up and, you know, got a lot, it, it became really unmanageable for me, but I probably am doing it wrong. <laughs> so Perhaps that's um, perhaps that's something I should revisit. But Twitter, Twitter for me, uh, to be honest, I know this is uh, you know bad dog, but for me, it's really a broadcast platform now, and I don't do much engaging on it. Although I do love your idea about the video replies, I never thought of that. Um, but mostly, I spend time in Slack with in a. I think I've got about seven different groups, ranging in size from just two people to probably about 150 and, uh, and, and everywhere in between, you know, 50, 30, 20, 80. And they're, uh, they're all very different. They all have their own tone and the successful ones, the ones that aren't a ghost town or the ones that I keep coming back to all have a leader and they're sort of the benevolent dictator type. Like you said, they sort of set the tone. These are the rules of the road for this room. You know, that doesn't mean they're right or wrong, but these are the, this is sort of code of conduct here. And 
And every once in a while, somebody will jump in with the channel cop siren and be like, okay, okay, okay. This is no, if you guys want to talk politics, this is the wrong place. Or uh, if you guys want to talk about knitting, this is the wrong place. You know, this is for business conversations, or this is for, this is our mastermind group for, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the, whatever the topic is, but also the community guidelines. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. I mean, I've had communities in the past where it was, uh, like the whole rule was don't be a jerk or other ones that were like, um, I had a photo sharing community really early on when the first iPhone came out before you could actually share photos off the iPhone. And, and the rule was don't share any photos that you wouldn't want your mom to see. And it's just like a simple thing like that. So people can be like, you know, is it okay if I post a link to my site? Is it okay if I'm salesy in here? Is it, you know, should I not be, is it, is it going to get me kicked out? And it creates a safe environment for people to be themselves within the context of the the particular community. And in terms of, I mean, Slack versus Twitter versus LinkedIn versus Facebook, they're all good. I, I think Madeline's point earlier about going where your customers are is probably the key determinant in which one you picked if you were deciding. But it seems to me that most people are probably already in a, in one of them with a group of people, maybe not their customers, but actually, actually that would be interesting if for me, if we could sort of pivot a little bit to the kind of meta business uh, point of, you know, I'm sure more businessy people listening are like, okay, great. I started a community. So what? Like now what? Is there a way I can make a living doing that? Or is that just something that's, is that like, you know, I'm giving back to the world as some sort of charitable service you know what's the uh, what's the dollars and cents point if there is one right and and there can be um for me with my podcast i have several different podcasts and my goal is to give out great information it's not to have sponsors and bring in the income but if your goal is hey i want this thing that i'm doing i want to build this community around a podcast i want to get sponsors i want it to pay for itself or i want to make a living doing it you know it all depends on what are your goals and my goals are always surrounded by serving people and then through serving people if i get sponsors great if i'm able to generate income great to, for me personally, that's more like the icing on the cake, whereas the cake is serving the community, serving people. Uh, but I've done well with building communities where that it does attract attention. And I get contacted from people who do want to sponsor and they want to be a part of it um, because they see the value of the community I'm building. And I tell you what, most of what I've done over the years have been niche communities. And I think that's so important So many times people go in and say, I want to help everybody. I want to serve everybody. So my business is doing X, Y, Z for everyone. And that's the best way to set yourself yourself up for failure because you just cannot possibly serve everyone initially. You got to start with a niche. And when I was doing the music business, when I first built my first community in 1996 for musicians, it was for female musicians. It was female, because I grew up playing guitar. And I wanted to help other female musicians. So I thought, why don't I start a community that serves, basically our our motto for the entire 20 years that I ran it was to promote, support, and empower women in music. And it was available for any female musician or any band that had at least one female in the group. And that was my niche. 
And then when I made the pivot in 2015, the, the niche was Twitter marketing. I started the podcast to help people with Twitter tips, interviewing Pat Flynn, Michael Stelzner, Mari Smith, Kim Gars. I went after all the top names in social media and asked them a simple question. What are your best Twitter tips? And the podcast grew exponentially. And that's great. I think that's awesome. But I kept it very niche and that will attract attention for people wanting to, to sponsor or, or and, and even on the flip side of that, it attracted people that wanted to work with me, that wanted to do business with me. So through the work I do helping people on Twitter, it attracted the attention of Manage Flitter, a third-party tool, and they hired me to help them with their social ROI Twitter chat the one that you were on, Rochelle, that I first met you. And so things like that can happen very easily by you know setting that goal. Okay, for me, I want to help people. For you, it might be, okay, I want to start a podcast and I want to get sponsors and I want to make a living doing this. And I'm always tweaking my, you know, you know, that's the beauty. You, know, you can change your goals. You can change your ideas. I mean, you can change a thought in a second. And I am gravitating more and more to wanting to, be a podcaster as my main business. I love podcasting. I think this is such a great medium for getting our message out. So I'm starting to change that. You're definitely preaching to the choir with me. I, I absolutely think that the the secret to success is just to help people. You know, it's it's not rocket science. A lot of times when I suggest that to people, they get really hung up. And this might sound funny, but it's serious. They don't know who to help. So I agree that helping everyone is a recipe for disaster. And I'm curious how you seem to be pretty good at, at maybe even your superpower is being able to just go for it. Just do it. Like you said, yes. for someone who is a little bit more of a deliberative thinker, let's say, or just someone who can't make up their mind or someone who, you know, is having a hard time getting started. Do you have any tips for that sort of a person? Yeah. And I know that happens a lot. It, that very first step of just doing it, taking that leap of faith is the hardest one for most people. Um, the reason why I'll just tell you a little backstory. The reason why I am so good at just doing it, just executing, um, I, instead of ready, aim, fire, I do ready, fire, aim. I mean, I just go ahead and do it and then tweak it on the, as I go, right? Like, you know, these days, everybody does the, you know, before I launch the course, let me put it out there, see if people sign up. And if they sign up, then I know they want it. Now I'll build the course. But four, five, six years ago, that wasn't the standard way. People were still building out an entire course and then putting it out there and hope people were interested. But today it's like, no, you 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 got to validate the idea. And so I'm really big on that and was doing that many, many years ago. Um, learning from, from, you know, how to best serve people. But really, I, I would say me with executing all the time with my, cause I'm an idea person. I'll just come up with an idea and I try it. And my, the way I look at it is what's the worst thing that will happen if it doesn't succeed it's okay. I'll just move on to something else. I have lots of ideas. I'll just try something else. I'll be the first to try something. I'm always amazed. Like what? I was the first one to do a Twitter chat in the music business. No one did one. 
for years, my Twitter chat was the only one. I'm like, why is nobody else doing this? I've already proven it can be done and can be successful. Uh, I'm used to getting copycats because I'll just try things. But I was so surprised with Twitter chats that, that there were no copycats. But I'll tell you, Jonathan, this all goes way, way back to when I first became an entrepreneur in 1996. I came up with an idea that was way ahead of its time. And I was, I, I, and this was before I learned about how to validate an idea. I wanted to put, and this was really for my own need. I wanted to put web cameras in the daycare center. My son was young at the time and in a daycare center. And I wanted to have, the technology was just starting to evolve. And I wanted to be able to put web cameras in and have us parents be able to sit at our desk on our computer and be able to see what our child is doing at daycare. I thought it'd be really cool. Went and got a, a business loan, wrote up a business plan. I did the whole thing and it flopped. It was ahead of its time. Daycare centers were not ready for it. And the people that worked in daycare centers did not want Big Brother watching them. So it just didn't work. And it was a failure. And I learned from the experience that it was okay. Like, Sure, at the time, it felt like the end of the world, but very quickly, it was like not that big a deal. And I moved on to the next idea. And I think because I failed early on in my business career, for me personally, it taught me that it is it truly is okay. It's better to go for it and execute your ideas rather than to hold back. And so many times, I mean, I talked to so many people, I counsel a lot of people with business, they're held back by fear of that unknown. I'm real big with live streaming video these days. I love to live stream. I think it's a great platform. So many people out there are terrified of it because they don't really understand the technology and they're, they're just not sure what will happen when they hit the record button and go live. So I try to help get them out of that shell and show them like it's really kind of cool, if you, but you got to take that first step. It always goes back to taking the first step. And it's hard. I, I totally understand it. So for me, I failed early on. It taught me that taking those first steps is okay because certainly nothing could go worse than that first experience I had where, I mean, you know, I had the big business loan. I, I mean, I went all out on that idea. So I always say, just go for it. Yeah. I, like I said, <laughs> totally agreeing here. It, now, interestingly, I also have a a performing arts background. I'm also a musician and I subscribe to the same notion. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some, you know, it might be a chicken or egg. I don't know what came first, but the, the, the sort of, I mean, this is overstating it, but the fearlessness of being able to get up on stage in front of a thousand people and, and put yourself out there is, I, I don't know which came first, but I know that's, that's something I can do. And I know that a lot of people, it feels like they're going to die. Like they feel like they're going to die. <laughs> it's like the scary, you know, they're sweating, they're shaking, they can't breathe. And it's, uh, if you just step back from it, you know, if you're, if you don't have, you know, dear listener, if you don't have that quality or you get stage fright or you're just, it's, it, it reminds me, it's very similar you know, just even, even if it's not a live stream or a live event, just taking your idea and putting it out in the world, you know, nobody wants to, nobody wants to, you know, blow the guitar solo or have their voice crack or have somebody tell them their idea is dumb. But if, if, well, you know, if you don't do it, it's definitely not going to work. If you at least try it, 
what you know like you're saying Madeline, what's the worst thing that can happen like i always see that there's two things i say all the time one is everything you do is practice for the next time it's not it's not this big not this big last chance you know this is my this is my big chance and if i blow it it's over and and i the other thing i always say is like you know it's not brain surgery we're doing here no one's gonna die from this it's what, what really are you scared of? Like, what's the worst possible thing that could happen here? And they'll come up with a list of possible. And I'm like, okay, how bad are those really? And they're like, yeah, you're right. Not that bad. So it, it but I know that those it's still, it's, um, I can convince their rational mind pretty quickly, but still that the butterflies don't go away without, um, more work and practice, that sort of thing. Well, I think it's also, you know, a lot of people are introverts and, you know, it's not instinctive to get on that platform on that, on that stage. So sometimes I call them situational extroverts. And I think a lot of people in our audience are like that where maybe we're quieter sometimes, but when we're, when we're on our big idea, when we're on our expertise, when we're on our game, we can become in that situation more extroverted, right? Because you're focused on the audience and on teaching and helping them learn. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you put all those things together and then, you know, the just do it, um, you know, things can happen. Magic happens. I absolutely agree with that, Rochelle. I am an, an introvert and people are always surprised to find that out when they meet me. But when I'm passionate about something, I can't hold it back. I want to share it. I want people to know. But I'll tell you, the very first time I spoke in public, I was on a panel. This was back in 2000. I was invited to speak at a music conference. I was like, wow, people want, want to hear me speak at an event. This is cool. But I had never done it before, and I was terrified. And I got through it, but it was probably the scariest thing because it's that unknown. You don't know what it's like to do it. And I found that it got easier over time. And then the very first time I spoke by myself and gave a workshop, I was terrified because I'd never done it. I was, you know, you start doing panels, you use you and other people. So it's not always all eyes on you. But that first time you, you speak, you're by yourself on stage is scary as heck. But I just kept doing it and it got easier and easier. So now when I go speak at conferences, I feel more comfortable, but I've been doing it for 18 years now. So you know, like with anything, it just takes time, but definitely there's always that fear of the unknown and you just have to, it's worth it to work through it because there's so much reward on that other side. Yeah. It's, I mean, really, we, Jonathan and I have talked a, a lot about this. It's, a lot of this is mindset. You know, you just have to yes. believe in that big idea and be ready to put yourself out there and take the slings and arrows if they come. Exactly. That's, that's always been the way I've done it. Just go for it. You're going to have naysayers. You're going to have people that, that, you know, don't agree with what you're doing, but it doesn't matter what they think. At the end of the day, all that matters is you. And does this make you happy? Is this what you want to be doing? Then if the answer is yes, then you got to follow your dream. That's how I've always been. It's worked well for me, but I work hard at it and I show up every day and I'm consistent. And just like my tattoo, I just do it. And some days it's easy. And I'll tell you what, lots of days is hard. And there's some days I want to give up. Some days I'm like questioning myself, why am I doing this? So we all go through this. You know, we're all human. We all go through these same emotions. So for those of you listening, you're not ever alone in this. We all go through it. 
But I have found that the best thing is to just keep going at it, do the things you love to do, and great things can come from it. Jonathan. Plus one. I, I have to say, that's, that is like the perfect note. Um, Jonathan, what do you think? Is this, is this a good stopping point or is there more you'd like to dive into? No, that's a great place to wrap up. So Madeline, where is the best place for people to find out more about you and what you're doing online? The best place to go would be my website, and that's madelinesklar.com. Being that I have an unusual name, you can type in my name on any social network, any platform, and you will find me. My favorite place to chat is Twitter, of course, so at Madeline Sklar. I definitely encourage everyone who's listening to send me a tweet. I would love to chat with you. and uh, Let me know that you heard me on this awesome podcast. Excellent. Terrific. Well, Yeah, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for The Business of Authority. Thanks, Madeline. Thank you. Thank you.